right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Simply Cyber Live. We bring expert guests on every Thursday for one hour long deep dives into cybersecurity topics that matter. And in this episode, I am so pumped that we will be talking with Chris Rock, well-known speaker from the DEF CON circuit. Let me get rid of that banner so we can dominate in cybersecurity. Well-known speaker, business executive, security researcher, and all-around great guy. He's also got an Australian accent, so some people find that really uh, you know, interesting or, 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 or uh, compelling. So he's got one of those uh, to boot. I'm very, very excited. The reason that I wanted to bring Chris on, besides uh, you know, all of the contributions he's made in the industry, is twofold. One, he is going to be speaking in just a few weeks at DEF CON, the third time he has spoken at DEF CON, and I have told you before, his talks are absolute appointment viewing. His talks included um, I Will Kill You, uh, where he studied and, and discovered vulnerabilities in the uh, you know procedural workflows of declaring someone dead and how you could actually exploit it for various uh, you know financial benefits. He also had how to overthrow a government. Um, I'm talking really outrageous, really mind um, you know not mind bending, but just taking you to places that are much more different than just hacking a Bluetooth IoT device, right? And in DEF CON 30, he's going to be presenting a talk called Killer Hertz. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into the sim monster space. What motivates him as a security researcher? And if you are looking to break into cybersecurity and, or you have broken in, the next step is dominating in cybersecurity. And I'm telling you, this expert right here is the guy who's going to tell us how to do it. So let's get Chris in here. As always, people, feel free to drop questions in chat. We do have the chat in stream today because we want to have a lively episode. So don't be shy. Throw your questions in there. It's all about good times in here. Let's go get Chris. Welcome to Simply Cyber, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself, what an intro. You're going to have to be my publicist. <laughs> well, it's all it's all very much well-deserved. As I said in the intro, I mean, you're a business executive, a security researcher, uh, you know, a world-renowned speaker. You know, I, I, I don't even think that that's really a, a reach, Chris. Um, so, you know, thanks for being here. Uh, let's dig right into it. As I said, uh, chat's going to be over here, so they will be dropping questions. Uh, where where to begin, Chris? I guess my my first thing that I really wanted to get in to ask you is, um, you know, we work with a lot of people who are just breaking into the industry, and one of the things that people really struggle with at the beginning is, what's the right path for me? Should I go red? Should I go blue? Is GRC more my speed? I don't know. You are obviously so so pointed in the security research area. You've done really really compelling, interesting research. Did you always know that that was your jam or in, in like hacking and breaking things or kind of what led you down the path of, of really asking interesting questions and then exploring them from a research perspective? That's a, a great question. So I've been in the industry now like close to 30 years. Um, so I'm nearly 50 now. So I've been doing this crap since I was like 13. So I was an IT guy and then went into security. And in terms of research, that didn't exist for me back then. Um, so I did IT and then security probably at age 30 and I've been in the security industry now 20 years. So I've had the background of going all the way through learning Linux, mainframe, VAX, you know, Windows, whatever. And then you come out the other end and you know pretty much everything. 
uh, and then applying that to security is a really easy switch. So your question about you know what young people should do in you in the industry, it doesn't really matter. Just get in there and play with stuff, and then your path will uh, it, it will present itself. Like after working 10, 15, 20 years in the industry, you'll know where you're going to go. And if if you're um, if the people listening to this don't have a path, don't worry. Just keep moving forward, learning new stuff. Don't get bogged down into the same tech. Uh, you'll be fine. It'll come very clear to you. Yeah, I, I've, I've been in the industry close to 20 years, and I, I, I it really resonates with me what you just said about you came from IT, I came from software development, and not having that path. I do feel like our industry has come leaps and bounds forward to having, you know, there's actually higher ed cybersecurity degree programs now. There's focused, um, you know, educational initiatives, certifications and stuff like that. So I, I feel like when you and I were coming up, like cybersecurity wasn't even really a topic. It was like you would just yeah. kind of secure some stuff and then, you know, do the best you can, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in the university sector just doing IT and I broke my leg, so I was stuck at home and I thought, I'll try to hack into the university I worked for uh, as, a, as an exercise because I was stuck at home. And that became the security career 10 years into an IT career. Is that right? So uh, you guys didn't have remote access, so you had to uh, uh, oh, jam mate, me up your own way? We're, t we're talking modem days, you know, when you have to dial in to get access in, you know, with the students and staff. Uh-huh. So did you successfully hack into the higher ed? I, you know, I, I couldn't couldn't tell you. I can't remember. I, I couldn't remember that was that, that far back. Yeah. Well, yeah, we see Nick Barker, who's a, a West Coast guy, closer to you than I am right now, saying remote work before remote work. So you were making remote work <laughs> cool, Chris, before it was a COVID, a COVID world. So, Thanks, so let's... Yeah, so let's dig into um, Sim Monster, if we will, just for a second. I I really want to talk to you about the business because uh, Chat, like he's he's an author, he's a businessman, he's a security researcher. So there's all sorts of different facets and elements to pull on here. But two things: one, your this is your business right here, Sim Monster, and you know, just for Chat, I'm a huge like logo and like visual impact guy, and I love this. This logo right here. What what's the origin of this guy right here, Chris? So um, we, we we're a bunch of hackers. So we're pen testers by trade, and then one of our customers wanted a seam solution, and we took that casual, edgy mentality into the business. So when we set and, and because all our all our staff members are, are hackers, um, are penetration testers. So the, the origin is we saw a cheesy uh, monster. Um, called the Sim Monster um, uh, from a TV show, and we bought him in, and we just cleaned him up a little bit, and and because it's, in Australia we pronounce it Seam, um, so it's become Seam Monster. And from a marketing perspective, we could do different monsters and stuff like that just to, to carry it through. Oh, that's that is very cool. So that's interesting. You said it's so it's Sim as a service, right? I know with the Americans we say Sim, but it's a Sim as a service. But all of your staff is offensive security professionals. Yeah, the, the, all, all our staff are hackers. So all the ones that I work with in my previous company, I brought them on board um, to the scene. Uh, we have developers, of course, outside of that, but the core consultants are pen testers. And, and uh, so when you have to do things like uh, diagnosing ports and stuff like that, it becomes really easy because all of them have had 20 years plus experience. That is really interesting. And so without going too much into it, like you're obviously the CISO of Sim Monster and the co-founder. So 
you know, are you are you working on like building a cybersecurity program and doing educational awareness for your staff? Like, are you doing like what type of CISO stuff are you doing, or is it been around so long that you've kind of got it on autopilot and just kind of doing the the regular two hundred fifty thousand mile maintenances? Yeah, it's pretty much so. As you know, with security, it never stops. So uh, mm-hmm. compliance is is the big key. Uh, training of staff. Um, and also just getting on, on on top of the compliance thing, especially with the auditors who want, you know, documentation. You hire this person from another country, show us their background check, you know, and they're getting that material in front of an auditor and sitting in front of them. That's sort of like my day-to-day operation. And also from a business side, sales, tech meetings, uh, and so management meetings and stuff like that. So, okay, well, that that's good because that keep, can allow you to continue to do the security research. I know some people... Uh, well, okay. So some people really kind of poo-poo on the GRC stuff. And Chris, you and I have talked some, but I don't know if we've ever talked. Like, basically, my career came up on the GRC side. I've done blue, but, you know, by and large, it's it's mostly GRC. I feel like you're, you know, obviously came from IT, but it's it's very much on the red offensive side, kind of the sexy side, if you will. But as a CISO, that's like the, the top of the GRC pyramid, effectively, right? So yeah. do, do you, like... You know, as a question that Aiden asks, should someone working in GRC, kind of like you as a CISO, possess technical skills, and how would they be applied in GRC context? Well, it's just a great question. Just to correct you, there, I, I did ten years in the banking sector, so I was blue for ten years as well. Um, oh, I didn't so, realize that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, and the, the beauty of blue and red, um, working in blue first, is you know the shortcuts you used to take setting systems up. So when you then mm-hmm. move to red. You knew what, what drop-down buttons you selected because it was easier. I mean, you know, whether you're running IPSEC or stuff like that and you know there's a 30% overhead on IPSEC and some business will say it's too heavy, so let, we'll just drop IPSEC. So and then stuff becomes clear text. So, and so you, yeah. you know what decisions you made and what's going to uh, hit a business going forward. But, yeah, going back to your question, I think that the more technical, the better. I think that you can cut through the bullshit of vendors. You can cut through the bullshit of your own staff. And you can actually put them on notice that you know exactly what you're talking talking about. There's nothing better than having a business head and a tech head together. I I agree 100%. Being able, like at any level of GRC, not just the CISO, but like any level of GRC, there I feel like engineers uh, make assumptions about what the GRC staff's technical acumen is. And you might get some uh, uh, like, like, I don't know, like verbal soup that just sounds technical in order to kind of like wave wave their hands and try to trick you as far as like something being in place or, or, you know what I mean? And uh, like, like a hundred percent, you're calling it call BS on those individuals and say, that's, that's uh, what are you talking about? Like what you just said doesn't make any sense. Like you can't, I don't know, uh, reconfigure the vulnerability. Like, like you can't just take buzzwords and merge them together and, and then put it on the blockchain. Right. Oh yeah, and you know what engineers like—they're the worst. They'll bullshit just to buy some more time. And you can—if you can cut through that, um, yeah, it makes life a hell of a lot easier. You don't make a lot of friends, but meh. Yeah, uh, kind of a big macro picture from uh, Nick Barker. Uh, he's wondering how do you feel about companies? You know, he names a particular company, but in general, te- teaching security-focused coding—how does that make any difference in the overall landscape in actually reducing cyber risk? You know. Um, at the macro level? Uh, from a company point of view, I, I, I like the founder. I like the CEO of Secure Code Warrior. Um, as a business, I think it's a great idea, like bringing the benchmark up. But from a hacker, it may, means jack shit. 
Um, because, you know, that's one, one way is getting secure, but there's another 300 that I'm going to get in somewhere else. So it just means that the low hanging fruit is somewhere else. Yeah. That's, that's a great way to put it. I love it. I love it. So let, let's pivot a little bit. So I want to say, you know, you've given these DEF CON talks and your first one that you gave was I will kill you, which by the way, has like one of the best, um, cover arts, if you will. It's it's like you holding a revolver basically pointed. Now, a lot of people quickly point out that your finger's not on the trigger and the, it's not loaded, which I think makes sense because you're basically pointing it at, at a human with a camera. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate the uh, the good the good practice of safety yeah. there. Yeah, we have gun safety in Australia, so we had to do all that sort of stuff before the camera would get in front of the film. Yeah, that, that's funny. But but it is a, just like the title of the talk, I Will Kill You, the graphical impact of that um, image is is very, you know, grabbing and jarring. I mean, I feel like you were doing like YouTube, uh, like title, thumbnail, click, uh, high, you know, high click through rates, the things that all the YouTubers talk about uh, before it was cool, Chris. So applaud you on that. But thanks. Your, your talk was, I Will Kill You, and you basically spoke about how to, uh, you know, basically put someone legally dead um, according to the law. And then also as like a bonus material, I feel like it was bonus material. You talked about how to birth someone effectively on paper, right? Not, not throwing your legs up in the stirrup and pushing a child out, but like how to on paper create someone. And then you, you had this interesting, compelling like next step, which I, this is where your, your mind is really, really interesting of creating someone and then killing them like you comparing combining those two things in order to have a full picture financial fraud scheme um and i found that compelling so you wrote this book baby harvest uh and this is a little bit older right maybe 2013 2015 time frame for this book that's correct yeah so you wrote this book i think it, it was kind of tied into your talk um what was what were your findings from from digging into that particular uh, area of research. I mean, obviously the, 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 the workflow was interesting, but it, you know, if you wrote a whole book on it, it sounds like there was a bit more going on there. Yeah. So when I do a talk, I, I'm all in. So I'll spend years on the topic and I'll speak to people in the industry. I'll, I'll actually speak to doctors and, and funeral directors and stuff like that. And I, I've got so much material at the end of it that it might be a 50 slide DEF CON talk, but there's so much material that I always put it into a book or a paper uh, at the mm -hmm. end of it, and my latest talk is the same. I've written a 230-page paper just so people can see it's not just a quick, you know, 45-minute talk and that's it. It's, you know, yeah. a couple of years worth of research and then um, support, supporting material to go with it as well. Oh, that's fantastic. That that really is fantastic. Now, I have, all, I have written a book. It was not... Uh, as crazy as uh, the baby harvest, but it, it was around uh, cybersecurity career and, and having a plan and how you, how you can kind of go from where you are to where you want to be. My experience in writing the book, I'll reserve uh, before you speak, but what was your experience actually authoring a book? It's a pain in the ass. It's a lot of work um, for little return. Um, for me, it was just... I wrote the book to just finish the finish the topic, so that if anyone saw the talk, had questions, they could go and read the book to get mm -hmm. further answers. Because it was just too much material. Because I actually, I think my first DefCon talk was only thirty minutes, so I had a smaller slot. It's really, it was really just to finish it. It was the icing on the cake, uh, yeah. and I did it because I had to. I wouldn't do it oh. again, painting. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> with uh, did you go through a publisher also? No, I just did it myself. The, oh, okay. the whole idea was it wasn't to make money. It was just to yeah. get it was just to get it out there so people could refer to. You mentioned this in the talk. Where's your supporting evidence on that so they could actually go to the book? Yeah, very interesting um, and great cover art. Also, again, like I don't know where you come up with these ideas, Chris. Between the title and the visual impact of the art um, on your slides and on your book cover and stuff like that, very, very interesting and compelling. Now. As far as your DEF CON 30 talk, I'd love to spend a few minutes getting to that. I saw Carrie in chat already ask um, for like a little tidbit, whatever you might want to share. Uh, some people are going to DEF CON this year. Some people are not. Uh, various reasons whatsoever. I I'll be going. I'm excited to catch your talk myself. But can you talk? And before we do that, Chris, one thing you don't know about me is uh, for some reason I get like overwhelmingly... Um, psycho or, or, or like I lose my mind when it comes to, and we can spend a minute talking about this when vulnerabilities come out, right? Like, um, blue keep wanna cry or, or hearts bleed, right? They get the logo, right? And you know what, you know what I'm talking about? Like the malware specter logo, right. the, the logo starts getting, you know, marketing people start spitting it everywhere. Log for shell had a funny one that, um, Kevin, um, Oh God, I can't think of Kevin's like Kevin, go see, go see the dog, whatever he, he released. And Felina just recently, the Microsoft one did not get a vulnerability logo and it kind of went under the radar and it, it bothered, it pissed me off actually, because I thought it was a really big vulnerability. <laughs> so you've got your talk coming up now. I, I'd love, I want to hear about it, but I just want you to know if you're interested, completely no obligation. I have made the beginning of a logo. This is Heinrich Hertz with laser eyes. So, I love it. you know, just, just food for thought. I whipped this up earlier as I was thinking about it. But let Love let's it. talk about your DefCon Thirty talk, Chris. What what will you be presenting this year? So the topic, as you as you said, was called Killer Hertz. I wanted to call it Terrorist Wind, but DefCon wouldn't let me, so I had to like tone it down a little bit to get accepted. Mm -hmm. uh, it's talking about how to bypass a, a jammer, electronic jammer. Um, as as your audience are aware, jammers are used in military and also private. But I, I got the idea for the talk when Julian Assange was in the embassy and they were using jammers to stop his communications going out. And so I then thought, oh, that's, that's, that's weird. I wanna, I've never looked at jammers before. So I started researching jammers, how they work, how they operate. And then once I understood the concept of how they work is how to get around it, like what are the holes uh, in jammer technology? That that really is interesting. So, did you procure hardware like jamming jamming hardware? Did you have to go through any legal loopholes or anything to you know? Because I'm not sure what's military grade, what's consumer grade. Yeah, so there's there's different grades: military and consumer. And, and the answer to those questions is yes. Um, so, f for me, I and it's probably interesting for your audiences. I spend a lot of time with electrical engineers because. I'm the IT security guy. I don't know everything. So I then had to branch out of my world and then contact experts. Like I did with my other talks, I spoke to Simon Mann, Coup Mercenary, uh, for the baby harvest, funeral directors, doctors, midwives, the whole work. So for me, I probably spent about 2,000 man hours speaking to electrical engineers on how things work, how magnetic fields work, how E-field, what's the difference between E-field and magnetic field. And so I could then understand from... A technical point of view how things work before i could even look at where the flaws are with with mm -hmm. that technology that's really interesting so it like i guess 
when do you decide you need to go to an external source of information versus, um, you know, self self research? Like, okay, like let me look at these jammers. Let me see it. Okay, I've got to go talk to someone else. What what what's the decision making process for you there? Once I'm, I always go outside my industry because, to be honest, Gerald, you know a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff. I'll speak to other people that know a lot of stuff, but they're all from the same background as me, as in our heads up our ass. It's always infosec. And it's not external people who are 10 times smarter than you and I, electrical engineers and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, who build antennas and, and things like that, uh, who who actually know knows what, who, you know, Hertz is, who knows who Charles Maxwell is, who knows the equations back the front. So if I if I find a topic, when I've learned enough publicly or what information is available, I then go speak to an expert straight away. Okay, so I'm curious, like, you almost have kind of that Michael Crichton approach to becoming as as strong on a topic as possible and then, you know, presenting your findings on it. Have you, it, it, I mean, every time you've done it with these three different talks, you've, you've hit gold essentially. I mean, do you have an idea, have you approached a security topic or an idea like, like jammers? Like, let me look at that and then see if I can find any bugs. Have you spent the time and effort and looked into something to have it not bear fruit? Uh, no, no, I, 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 yeah, the answer is no. There's always a hole in everything, and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of finding it. And the thing is, and I'll tell you why, is a lot of the work that I'm doing with my talk is about magnetic fields, uh, near-field communication. Now, if I said to you, Gerald, and hate to put you on the spot, what do you know about near-field communication? And, and I'm assuming you're going to give me a basic answer. I'm hoping you're going to give me a basic answer. That yeah, you, use yeah. it to get into, you use it to get into buildings, use it to for banking, you know, payment and all that sort of stuff. And then yeah. if I asked you, why is the range so small? Why is near field one to five centimeters? And and what would be your answers to that? Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, no. I mean, to me, uh, the power, right? Because it, because there's no yeah. power source on the antenna, right? It has to get charged and pushed back, right? Which is yeah. which is limited. But I guess if yep. you amplify the power, you should be able to get a strong enough response, right? But maybe it gets noisy yeah, you just, if you. You're spot on. You're spot on. Our whole career, we've been told near field communication is great from one to five centimetres and we use it every day. We're told it. That's not necessarily true. Like you just said, you've thought about it. Change the power. What if we change the uh, wavelength? Instead of running at 13.56 megahertz, what if we changed it to two kilohertz? How big is that range at two kilohertz? And then all of a sudden you start doing the maths equations for that and all of a sudden you've got a communication channel at two kilohertz where you can actually run comms at theoretically 75 kilometers as in half the wavelength so you can actually communicate by a magnetic field for long distances yeah i mean it really is interesting and i'll tell you what like as soon as you said change the, the wavelength that's where i get off the bus because you know i understand kind of the conceptually like you power the antenna i've studied rfid a little bit uh but when you talk about the frequency and all that it's like you know, uh, okay, like <laughs> uh, I need to call yeah. in uh, an expert right now because now you're in you're in a space I'm not in. Well, and, and that's fine. And, and a lot of my slides on this DEFCON talk is exactly that. I'm going to dumb it down um, mm-hmm. at the same way that electrical engineers dumbed it down to me. So start off with the basics. How does an antenna work? And you know how an antenna works basically. But what happens before it becomes a wave? So when you go from something leaving an antenna to generate a wave, for those who are uh, on, on the talk today, like a garage door, the actual wave that opens the garage door. But what happens between your finger when you press the button 
to the short distance after you press the button. It's not a wave at that point. It's forming a wave. And that before it forms a wave is near field. And that's when I'm going to get into and explain the difference between near field and far field communication. Yeah. And I hope folks understand now, if you didn't know Chris before, I hope this part of the conversation is informing you on why I, I really, really enjoy your talks and your research, Chris, because it's really, it's just, it's interesting and it's like nuanced and it's, it's very, um, I don't want to call it counterculture, but it's just not the same thing over and over. You know what I mean? Like people kind of swap out what the product is that they're breaking into, but it's, it's a lock, it's a Bluetooth, it's a, what, you know, so I, I think it's uh, wildly interesting. And you know, another thing, I don't know if you've looked at this at all, um, but it makes me think of the Bluetooth because uh, Bluetooth is kind of seen as a personal area network pan, you know, protocol. But a couple years ago, there was that like that famous YouTube video of the blue rifle or whatever, where they were like plug, like pulling someone's contacts from a mile away. And I always wondered, I get that you could push to the phone. I don't understand how the phone could communicate back. Um, and, and I don't know if this is in the same vein of the research that you did. Uh, did Bluetooth come up and, and kind of, the, is it similar in that way or did, did it not really come no. up? No, it didn't come up. I, I'm, to be, for, for, for those who are watching, I'm focusing on the, the wavelengths that are really low. I'm talking about uh, VLF, very low frequency, ULF, ELF, all those frequencies that you don't really consider when you're talking about communications. Like that's the military stuff, you know what I mean? Like that's that sort of area. Mm -hmm. So I'm covering things that need large antennas but the problem is I don't want to use a large antenna. So how can I communicate on these wavelengths using no antenna? Yeah, very interesting. So I guess, you know, covert communications using, um, you know, mediums that are present but not really utilized is the is the thesis of your talk, right, essentially? Correct. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. It's uh, essentially using the earth as an antenna and communicating over distance. Using the earth as an antenna? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a larger antenna than the planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the Eiffel Tower is pretty good, but it's got nothing on Earth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, all right. So this talk even got better. Yeah, guys. Appointment viewing. If you're at DEF CON, when, when is it, Chris? It's Friday, right? 6.30? Yeah, Friday at 6 p.m. just before the party start. Okay. Oh, I wonder, that's perfect, right? That's perfect. Every... I, love, I, love, I love an afternoon time slot. I hate a morning slot. For my overthrow government, I had a 9 a.m. time slot and half the audience were asleep because, man, they hadn't even gone to bed yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, DEFCON yeah, Defcon's different than Black Hat, no doubt. Um, so, Chris, what I know that it, based on what you said, it sounds like when you pick a research topic like this one, you go all in and it consumes you. I'm kind of curious, um, since you'll be presenting, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're almost completed with that research. What other type of research are you looking at or, you know, any other projects or anything? Like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what type of other things you're uh, researching? Yeah, look, the start of your sentence was spot on. I am 100% uh, hyper-focused on the topic that I'm giving now, and I can't mm. put it to bed until it's finished and presented. Um, so to answer your question, I'm doing nothing but this. It is 100% of my time is focused mm -hmm. on this sort of stuff to make sure I understand it and my audience understands it. And for electrical engineers, I can actually get something out of it as well. Very interesting. Now, did, did does any of this um, come with any type of zero day or CVEs or 
do you, you know, I, I know you're not going for that as like the, the end goal, but you know, I have to feel that some of this stuff might, might be interesting to other people in a way that would, you know, cause action for them to take following your talk. Yeah. I produce hardware, so I've got the the uh, the TX and the RX device locked down, and the schematics and the code is will be in the paper um, that comes with the DEFCON talk, so people can actually build their own devices to do this communication. Oh, cool! All right, are you using a three D printer for that? Uh, no, I just just built it like old school, mate. Old school with a soldering iron. Oh, all right. I like that. Not not unlike how you built the um, the like the drone circular saw. Uh, yeah, exactly. Old school, mate. Old school. I love it. If you guys have not seen how to overthrow a government, Chris's talk from DefCon, I think twenty six. Um, there's one segment where he has to destroy a power substation, and he chooses to do it with a circular saw attached to a drone uh, that he built and. Um, it's, 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 it's quite compelling. It's very out there. It looks like a battle bot, but like one that was not authorized in any capacity to operate. Look, it's great to see like, you know, in Ukraine now where they're using things like that now to drop bombs and stuff like that. It's like, you know, what we foresaw years ago is now happening. Yeah. I love it. So, so Chris, let's pivot the topic here. You know, I, I, the title of the talk was "Dominating in Cybersecurity," and you've been around a very long time. In chat, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through and look at some questions. I haven't really seen any pop up in here, uh, but I will make sure that I go through if there are any questions, and we'll get them to Chris. But from a concept of dominating in cybersecurity, what are your impressions of what the current kind of meta is of our industry? Uh, and where we're where we're going. I mean, there's it's always changing, as you said earlier, and it's incumbent upon us to stay informed and, and be aware of those kind of macro trends. I'm I'm really curious, what are your thoughts of of the industry? Before I answer that one, what are your thoughts? I mean, you you're in you're speaking to a lot of people. What are your thoughts on how it's going? Well, okay. Th- Thank you for asking. There's a couple there's a couple elements to it, right? So one is the workforce issue, right? So you hear this like there's a million open jobs and there's tons of people who want to work in the industry but somehow they can't get together. That that's one issue that I really think needs correcting. And I honestly think, you know, there's three things you can do to develop yourself. Uh certif- in in a way of employment, okay? Certifications, higher education and practical skill development. And right now, you know, and I, I, I've been in, I've gotten multiple degrees, Chris, like I was all in on higher ed. And right now I feel that practical skills are the, the, the Trump card, right? Like it's, it's, if you can sit down at a keyboard and you can deliver value today to a CISO or to a a program or to a business that has incredible value. I don't care if you dropped out of high school, but you are awesome at Sim Monster like get in here, like let's get you paid and everything like that. And I think what I'm beginning to see this, at least from NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology here in the United States, um, where they're pairing with groups that are putting on apprenticeships and they're starting to approach. I mean, this is like bleeding edge. This is like just a couple of weeks ago. They're beginning to approach it almost like a trade, like a plumber or an electrician, where it's like, okay, Practical skills obviously is what the market is demanding. Let's get these people in a position to get practical skills from someone who has 
time in the seat. And then, you know, there's value obviously for the business to get, um, you know, better information security, probably at a discounted rate because they're not going to pay uh, premium prices for an apprentice. Uh, and then, you know, six months, a year, whatever, and release that person into the wild or better yet, hire them into your own company at that point. Um, I think that that is where we need to be in order to solve this workforce problem. That That's well, I guess let me throw it to you. What are your thoughts about that or about the workforce problem? And then I have a couple other thoughts at the macro picture that we can yeah. we can chew on. I really wanted to hear your view because I knew that you had an educational background as well. And for those who are in college, uh, to be honest, you, th- those who are listening to this talk, um, you're going to be in the industry in a long time. I think a university education should be the first thing that you do outside of school and then do private certification. So you're the, a double you're double dominant at that stage. So the thing that I find in the workplace is I may have somebody with practical skills, but if I ask them to write a report, where's your references, where's your where's your artifacts, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Those skills that we get at university um, mm-hmm. translate very well into the real world. And for those who've got practical skills, don't get me wrong, they're very valuable, but to have that education, the double, private and um, uh, college, for me is if you want to dominate get both don't don't just go the private route now i know a lot of people want to take shortcuts get in the industry at 18 and that's mm-hmm. fine and you can earn a lot of money i mean you can you know get in the industry and earn you know 200k a year as a you know as a 20 year old um you've got a long career don't fuck it up so you know you're going to be stuck with the imposter syndrome if you don't get all the core things done first and there's nothing wrong with the university education first and then private second I agree a hundred percent. And that's why I don't ever, I never will say I wasted my time. I wasted my money on the higher education path that I took because I agree with you. The way I like to think about it is that high school dropout, right? That is really good at sock analyst or is really good at bug bounty or web app pen testing, right? If you think of like the collection of skills, let's say that there's only five skills that individuals need to be great professionals and you treat it like a, like a, a hexagon um, or pentagon um, spider graph, right? With, with the, the closer to the center is less skill on the outside is m- more skill. You know, that, that pen tester who dropped out is wicked good at pen testing. That spike is all the way over here, but all of the other things are kind of lower. Whereas someone who goes to university, you do kind of interact with uh, other people from different cultures, different mindsets, different thought processes. You get exposed to some other topics, some other concepts that would be not really in your purview or interest if you were just going right. to focus on the things you liked all the time. And that expands you as an individual. And it gives you it gives you experience that's not hands-on keyboard experience. It gives you like life experience that allows you to empathize with other individuals. So you don't, you know, you don't walk up to someone who is having a tough time on the keyboard and, and you're not like move, like, like move Carl. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you have a little bit more empathy and you can understand. And then if you're doing like awareness training or, or, or CISO type work, you can understand the business side and realize that they don't really care about the, the nuts and bolts, the zeros and ones. They compare, they, they care about objectives, outcomes, results, and impact of certain things. And you, you can, do the job better. So I guess it is a really interesting asterisk to put next to it. You can do the job at 18 or 20 and get that high paying job, but you, you are slightly, um, 
I don't want to say limiting yourself, but you're you're almost pigeonholing yourself where you're going to you're going to hit some like impediments along the way. You're going to have a fat bank account. Right. But you will hit some impediments. I agree. And the thing is, you don't have to follow a set pattern either. If you're you're like if you're in a family situation where you have to go out to work at eighteen and you're in the industry and you're earning good money or even average money, you can go to uni later. Like you can go to college at age thirty if you want to. It doesn't have to be a set order. So do do get some money in the bank, and then mm-hmm. your work will pay for university uh, or, or college. Um, and the second thing is, like you said about university, if you ever gone into a university bookshop and looked at other course material, that shit will blow your mind. It's like where the hell have these books been in all my life? When you look at electronics or biology. I mean, the shit you get on Amazon is not the shit you get in a university bookshop. Like you start seeing, like you said, what other people study and you're going, holy fuck, there's some smart people out there and I have never seen any of this crap before. And if you go straight into security, pen testing or forensics, Mm -hmm. you're not going to see that side. So look, I'm not dissing going straight into the industry, but have both and then you're unstoppable. Yeah, you're 100% right, too, about uh, your your employer paying for it, you know. Well, and, and that's, I don't know what it's like in Australia, Chris, but one of the big pain points right now in the United States, in fact, there's like, um, there's a lot of political turmoil associated with a lot of unhappy people, is just the cost to go to a four-year college, get the degree, students are coming out 200 grand in debt, uh, especially in our industry where you have the degree, uh, but you lack some of the practical experiences if you didn't um, if you didn't do the extracurricular stuff while you were at university. So you come out with 200 grand in debt and you don't have any job leads and you're ending up having to take a job you don't really want that's not even in cyber. Um, and, and people are upset about that. It's like, why is it so expensive? It's not It's not correlating. Um, so 100% with you right there. There's a lot of different ways. Even um, doing like, they call it the reserves here, or the National Guard. I don't know what they have in Australia, but you can kind of quasi join the military and get access to educational benefits uh, that will pay for stuff like that. So uh, different options. Uh, but I guess the key takeaway is you don't have to take a traditional path. You don't have to turn 18, go to a four year right. school. Yeah. It's there's options, right? Hack your hack the yeah. career, right? <laughs> Basically. Exactly. I mean, when I left school at 18, I went into the workforce straight away. I actually went into university, failed the first, I actually failed uni four times as in, I did not want to do computer programming as a as a course so i flunked out four times like from 18 19 20 21 22 i dropped out like and then i went into the workforce then i went to uni later on so the timing's got to be right for you too as a person uh, i mean after you've done 13 years of schooling you know from from a five-year-old to an 18 do you want to do schooling or do you want to break you can have a 12-year break if you want to go back to uni later on yeah, absolutely. So, so another kind of macro thing that I think is interesting, um, and it's it's quasi cybersecurity, but I lose my mind about this. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I am curious if you've done any research. Is on kind of the crypto space and the NFT space, and you know, like not blockchain, but from what I can tell, right, Chris, th- like the idea of the decentralized currency was a um, it was a it was a noble idea. It was it, it was clever in its in its origin, but because there's so much money associated with it, it's tur- it's like ninety five percent scams, Ponzi scams, fraud. It's just rife with like financial fraud, and it, it's kind of soured the entire 
the entire space. And I think it's complete crap now. And I almost feel that vendors are, are shoehorning crypto and blockchain into products, uh, almost like a problem, uh, almost like a solution looking for a problem. Uh, and it's just, I, I've got a big problem with that. I know it's very, mm, not exactly cybersecurity per se, but I am kind of curious on your thoughts. Like I said, we don't have to spend a lot of time on that, but I get all yeah. frothed up about it. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, but <laughs> Yeah, for me, um, for uh, things like Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff has always been for criminals. I mean, I've been using it uh, to move assets around from a criminal point of view. Like I deal with people that, if you're in jail and you need to pay money to make sure that you get food from the jailer, that I move money via Bitcoin. It was a way of anonymously moving money from A to B. And it's always, for me, it's always been criminal. The fact that the rest of the world joined in, made money, scams, all that sort of stuff is just, they've come into the criminal world and then they've seen, oh, this is pretty messy. And then they've left. But for me, it's always been a way of moving money from A to B criminally and it always will be um nft is just the scammers on the back on the back of it <laughs> yeah it's just the scam du jour if you will right. yeah definitely definitely interesting um okay so getting more into cybersecurity and that macro thought um i am kind of curious um from a from a technology perspective and the advancement of technology and the utility of technology Artificial intelligence is really quite popular right now. And we saw this Google AI bought the Lambda server that, you know, the dude uh, identified it as Sentinel and then Google fired him. I don't know if you saw that uh, the last couple of weeks, but that was like a big, big news story. I honestly think that there is application for AI in the information security space and, and really in a space that really aligns with you, Chris in the SOC analyst role where AI and machine learning can be used to help with detection engineering and, you know, kind of take care of some of the repetitive, you know, regular um, low hanging fruit stuff and, and, and see some compelling uh, uh, patterns that a human might not quickly see or somebody who's not a seasoned 15 year, 20 year tier three analyst wouldn't be able to see. And I think that that's really it. I don't think it's going to replace humans in the seat. I think it's going to aid them in being more effective and, and cut the time down on how much expertise is required to be able to be super effective. I, I agree with that. I think the, um, I mean, I think AI is in its infancy in terms of what, what we can use, but I can mm -hmm. see in the future that it will, well, to be honest, Gerald, I think it actually will do us a disservice. I know that you've, you've, You've got shopping centers in the US where you've got self-checkout now. Um, people think it's a great idea because you can self-checkout. At the end of the day, you get rid of operators. You get rid of, you know, the checkout chick or the checkout guy. Uh, you're getting rid of jobs. I think AI will get rid of SOC analyst jobs. I think there still will be SOC analyst jobs for, like you said, for the more extreme. But for that, we've got a, we've got a client that needs um, three person per shift, you know, 24 shifts a week. I think that will be reduced with AI. So I think that we'll promote it because it's great. But at the end of the day, you'll be cutting jobs down. Um, I, I, you will be reducing the job count with when it comes in successfully. Well, I certainly hope. I mean, I, I find I, I fancy myself a positive, you know, worldview type person and hoping for the best, you know, with positive intent. I hope it's just shifting those SOC analysts. It's not replacing them full on. So make, you know, having them, having them available now to be able to apply to more human problems and more, 
you know, interesting challenges that you just, it hasn't been repetitive. So you can't have a computer really solve or what, what, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, um, I mean, some SOC analyst positions is a dumb role. And what, I mean that with respect, I've been a SOC analyst for my role. It's just a waste of your time and you could be doing something better. Let's get the AI to take care of the, the shit and then you can focus on something that you want to focus in on uh, or the business one, whether it be research or, or that sort of stuff. So I, I agree. It'll shift, it'll shift them into something else. Now, one thing that people may not know is that Chris has worked all over the world, including the Middle East. And, uh, you know, basically you're very cosmopolitan when it comes to your, your professional work experience. Another thing that's kind of trended over, I'd say, the la- it feels like the last 10 years is, and it may just be there's more with MITRE ATT&CK, we're starting to formulate better pictures, but the APT space and, you know, obviously you've got your Russia and your China and your United States and your Iran and stuff. But it seems like there's more players on the chessboard, if you will, or on the on the on the board, um, getting more uh, compelling capabilities. And, and with people like NSO Group who can sell uh, weapons, cyber weapons effectively uh, to, you know, Ethiopia, someone who doesn't have a first world power, has a military capability, but has you know, <laughs> has the USB drive with the weapon. Um, it definitely seems like there's more quote unquote threat actors operating in the space than obviously with ransomware we're seeing, um, you know, follow the money. People are getting very driven by all the profits that are being made. So that's another, um, I guess, development in our industry from an ecosystem perspective. I, that, you know, I don't know, you have so much experience again on the world stage. Uh, what are your thoughts about, about, kind of the shift in the threat actor yeah completely uh, completely and, and i've observed that so i would actually be one of those threat actors in another country and then the country that i was operating them didn't have the the knowledge the skill set or the vision to see how effective these sort of uh attacks would be going forward and all of a sudden they're late to the party um so you've got you know the poorer countries uh or, or, or like things like you know north korea and iran and stuff like that They've got. They've realised that we can actually wield power. We don't need to fly a terrorist to go blow something up in another country. When we can rob a bank, move it to Bitcoin, or, or rob an exchange, a crypto exchange, and cause havoc that way remotely with us with a core skill set. So, for mm-hmm. me, those sort of adversaries have have increased because it's 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 like it's another attack vector, and you don't need to fly someone overseas, like I said, to blow up a building. You can do it from the comfort of your own uh, country. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, be, be in bed by nine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, nothing, nothing beats sleeping in your own bed. Right. So, uh, I, I, I have not been a cyber mercenary, so I haven't had to, you know, travel to these locations and, and deal with, uh, MREs and, or w- whatever it is that, uh, y'all deal with, but I can certainly imagine that that, that is a game changer. Um, I have a question for you. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. Cause this was a, uh, a, a, a question of contention or an, a, an area of contention. So I'm curious where you stand on it. So um, early March, you know, Russia invades Ukraine as, as it was seen. And President Zelensky of Ukraine openly called for citizens of the world to join the Ukrainian IT army, basically crowdsourcing, um, you know, a cyber capability from anyone that wanted to, to be involved. And then they were using things like Twitter and Telegram to push out uh, targets of interest or objectives 
uh, and then, you know, basically waiting to see if a group of people would, would attack that. Um, now, my, my, my understanding is that Zelensky took this approach because he wasn't getting, you know, nation to nation kind of support in a way that, you know, in his back against the wall. So this was an option. What, what are your thoughts about that particular approach, good or bad? And, you know, maybe the implications uh, of, of what that could be. It's it's a great question. It's a it's a very deep question. I mean, my first thought, the dumb thought, would be: you're up against Russia. You'll do whatever the fuck you need to do. Like fuck the rest of the world. If I need operators from other countries to assist me, I'll do whatever the fuck. It's not like if he does nothing, he's gone. You know, what I mean, as soon as he as soon as Russia mm-hmm. invades, he's dead. So you'll do whatever you need to do. Now, where it gets interesting and the deeper question is: if ISIS did the call or Afghanistan made the call, and then I went over or I did my digital stuff, I'm a terrorist, but if an American goes over and helps Ukrainian, whether it be digitally or on the ground, he's a fucking hero. So, you know, white guy, good, Muslim, bad. Like, it's a very deep question. Um, and our in terms of American or Australian culture, as long as you're on the Christian side, you'll be fine. But if you go you know, on the Muslim side, you're fucked. You know what I mean? It's as simple as that. It's a very deep question. Um, and, and to answer it briefly, he did what he had to do, and I would have done the exact same thing. I assume you would have done the same thing. In terms of a world order, in terms of courts and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's pretty messy. Um, mm-hmm. For me to then start doing criminal activity against Russia and stuff like that, you're then on the you're on the other side of that stage. So you, you've crossed the line. Yes, I, I agree 100%. Um, and that's actually why, I don't know if you noticed I said it, but you know, I'm a proud American, right? Like I'm not, you know, anti-establishment or anything like that. But I always do... And when I talk about APTs, I don't just say Russia, China, North Korea, which is like a common thing in the United States. I do say the United States because, you know, depending on your perspective, we are an APT. We are certainly advanced. We certainly have a capability that can do very complicated espionage very quietly, uh, as we saw with the Vault 7 leaks and Eternal Blue, which, you know, ultimately got weaponized into WannaCry quite effectively. So we, we... Right. Like like I'm part of the we on this one. Right. Like the NSA um, have those capabilities. So I always do include that. But you're 100 percent right. Um, It really depends on who is who's writing the history, essentially. Right. right? Retrospectively. Uh, And I agree that Zelensky did what he had to do when your back's against the wall. You are prone to do you're prone to go for those Hail Marys, if you will, if that's the only option in your playbook. Um, I, I did. I did have some concerns. I was on the position of it's a good idea, but you're calling out to the world for help, and the people who are responding, you have no idea. Two things: one, the efficacy of their ability to actually impact in a meaningful way, and then two, I mean, Russia's very good at misinformation, disinformation. It's it would be nothing for them to create another Twitter account and call it whatever, like, you know, glory to Ukraine at twitter.com or whatever, and then start feeding Ukrainian assets and objectives into the pipeline and, and basically turning that capability against itself. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if they did that or didn't do that, but to me, I'm, I'm nobody. And I figured that out in like five seconds. I'm like, w- there's no way to validate the, the, the source of the request, right? It's, 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 it's like a blind communication. Ah. Oh, completely. And you, and you said the, the right word. You said eth- efficacy. So if I'm asked to do a job and that involves 
robbing a bank, I'm not going to clean out the bank and give it all to the Ukrainian prime minister or president. There's going to be some for you and there's going to be some for me. Like, I ain't doing this for free. Like any mercenary, you know, the first place you walk through in town is the bank and just to, you know, to fill up. So there is no efficacy. You're asking, you're asking for criminals, you're going to get criminals. And so then you've got to expect the same in return. Exactly. And I, and I also felt that a lot of the individuals, like just Ben kind of mentioned it in chat here, you can see in the comments. Uh, I feel like a lot of the people who would be compelled to respond without really thinking through the implications of the decision they're making would be that, you know, 14, 15 to 25 year old individual who, who is kind of operating YOLO and, and like, this is cool. Like, you know, not really thinking through the decision, right? More thinking about like the impact or the, the like the, the ability to, to do it and it'd be cool. And somehow it's, you know, legal because I've been asked by the president of Ukraine to do X, Y, Z, you know? And like I said, because he's white and it's from a, you know, a Christian Orthodox country, then you can get away with it. But if I, if I went to Syria with the same viewpoint, I'm fucked. As soon as I come back home, I ain't getting home. (laughs) Yeah, no, you would be, you would be in trouble. um, Obviously. So, so let me ask you, Chris, because you do identify, it's the first sentence in your profile in multiple places, is that you're a cyber mercenary. You actually just mentioned it uh, a moment ago as, you know, as a, mer- as a cyber mercenary, the first thing you do is walk by the bank. Um, like, what is that? And you might not be able to tell me too much about it, but like, what is that role? And is there like, is there like a ecosystem of cyber mercenaries? Because I've heard some stuff recently uh, that is on the black hat side where there's a threat group. I can't remember exactly what they were. It was in the news, like on Monday, um, there's a threat group that's basically setting up almost kind of like a gig economy for black hat hacker hackers. Yeah. So there, there really won't be an uh, TTP for this threat actor group because they're going to pick and choose the right, you know, the right clubs for whatever the shot is on the golf course, right? AKA whatever the, the, the objective is that they want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, installing malware on an iPhone or ransomwareing this threat actor or stealing the blueprints from a competitor. Like they're going to use different people who have different skills, AKA mercenaries, um, which obviously is going to be very lucrative for them and very difficult for defenders to kind of get a, a, a fingerprint on them as an individual who kind of identifies as a cyber mercenary. Can you kind of speak about that? Um, Cause it's, it's very, um, I don't want to call it taboo, but it's not something that you hear about quite a bit in our industry. And I'm very curious. Yeah, You're right. It's a, it's a great question too, Gerald. So I, I've always been a black hat and I've always been a white hat. I don't shit where I eat. So what, what I mean by that is I, I, I'm both, I'm, and I'm proud to admit it, and it's taken me years to admit it, but I'm both black and white. Um, I'll do the bad shit and I'll do, I'll run a business and I'll do both. If you ask a lot of hackers who've been around have you hacked into this? Have you hacked into that? The answer is always yes. Um, they ha- find it very difficult operating in both worlds. I found it difficult operating in both worlds, but I, I'm comfortable now to say that I work in both black and white, as in um, mercenary, bad, and also um, white as well, as in running a business. So having difficulty with that, I'd, I'd like to dig into that a little bit. I mean, is it the moral um yeah element of it so like when you go to sleep at night you're like am i a good person no i know i'm a bad person so that's the easy part it's just that you've got to put on a certain you've got to put on a certain you know when you walk out in the the day you've got to be you know 
Joe citizen, you've got to be the good person, but you operate on both sides. Um, so that it, there's no difficulty. It's just blending in. Um, cause normally I wouldn't have this conversation with someone like yourself. You just, you sit on the, sit on the sideline. Yeah. He may be doing some dodgy shit. He might be doing some good shit. We can see he's doing some good shit. He probably operates on both sides, but doesn't talk about it. But now I'm, I'm happy that I operate on both sides. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm certainly glad that you came on the show and talked to me. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation. I know, uh, chat over here is definitely enjoying it. So I'm glad that you've reached that point in your, in your, in your journey where coming on simply cyber is something that is, uh, interesting to you. So I, come I'm out. Actually... <laughs> you heard it here first folks. So I'm curious, Chris. So, you know, as someone who says like, okay, I'm a black hat, like that's fine. I do some, uh, some, some bad stuff. Did you grow into becoming a white hat and accepting that? Or did you grow into becoming a black hat? Like where, where were you first? And then how did that transition come to where you were kind of on both sides? I was, I was always a black hat. Like I was always hacking from a young kid. And then you pushed into getting a career as a white hat. So you then operate on the white hat. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy being a white hat, defending banks and all that sort of stuff. But there's also doing a pen test is great writing a report is shit or you can just hack without the report and do what you're being asked to do. So I like both sides. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually I, I was, as I was researching for the show, I came across a blog article on medium. If you Google Chris rock, you'll, it'll be one of the first comes up about your talk around overthrowing a, a government and the, the, the blog post answered it, but let me just tell you, Chris, and you've probably heard this from other people. And let me tell you, Chad, I was in the audience when you gave that talk. I was actually sitting in the front row. You were probably looking at a sea of 4,000 people. So yeah, I, I blended in, but I was one of the ones who was awake, Chris. Okay. So <laughs> after the talk was over, I turned to my buddy, Jacob, who was sitting right next to me. And we looked at each other dumbfounded and, and we said, did he actually do this? Because in the talk, you're talking about you need to get into the bank accounts. You need to get into the news media outlets. You need to plant stories, plant bribe payments. But you're showing screenshots of the inside of the bank account, of inside the ISP with like the C panel. And we were just looking at each other like, how the hell, like what? And and it, it, it Arab Spring happened. That prime minister or uh, whatever the, the, the title is, the parliament title or whatever that they have over there, um, he got ousted. Right. So it seemed very compelling. Now, the blog article went into it a little bit, but um, you're talking about being able to break into stuff like you were doing this work. And I don't it sounded like you didn't have to write a report on that particular engagement. Correct. It was essentially, Chris, you say you're a great hacker. Show us how great you are. And then I got, you know, con blanche of what can you hack into in this country? And then I just hacked into as much crap as I could within a four week period. And then I had all the evidence of what I could do about it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was really cool. And again, this gets into that really interesting nuance of who's asking you and does that make it okay, right? Because clearly Kuwait wasn't asking you to break into Kuwait, right? <laughs> like I, I can't imagine yeah. that. That Exactly. And I might have a government ask me to do a piece of work and then I've been asked as a mercenary or paid individuals of another country to do something. Now it may be legal in that country and I will do what I'm requested to do. So legal, not legal, whatever, who gives a shit, but it's, it's just, for me, it's just a job. I've been asked to do something, do it. Um, simple as that. 
I love it. And and just to kind of put a fine uh, point on this, Joel Belton, longtime Simply Cyber community member, says, you know, Chris, you don't get smacked by Will Smith. You put the smack down on his victims. I love it. Uh, Chris, just kind of a fun talk. Like, how how is it frustrating or does it not matter because you live in Australia having the same name as a, you know, you know, a list celebrity who's got international acclaim is that is that ever a problem or is it a pain in the ass or no. you know just a whatever it, it, it's just a whatever it's, it's essentially people look look at me and say oh you're not the real chris rock you know or make a joke <laughs> which is completely, which is completely fine but it's it's not a hindrance it's not a benefit it's just a bit of fun um yeah and, and, and what it does do it relaxes the subject too so uh, i find that if i'm you know going through customs or something like that it softens them uh, which is to my benefit as well. Yeah, I, actually, I could see that as like a social engineering tactic oh, yeah, totally. in order to. Oh, it's yeah, awesome. it's awesome. So no, no sock puppets for Chris Rock. He's riding, he's <laughs> riding dirty with his own name. I love it. <laughs> That's so cool. So Chris, if people wanted to um, like learn from you or or find out what you're into, I know you have a blog. It looks like it hasn't been updated in a little while. I know you. It sounds like you're the kind of person who's driven that once this hurts um, bleed, not hurts, bleed, um, hurts, kills talk is completed and you've published your 230 page, uh, manuscript. Uh, you may take a break and then you're going to probably start in on another topic. Is that, is that typically like your workflow? Um, you find something that interests you and you go bananas on it. Yeah, pretty much. So I think I did my, uh, last talk in 2016 and in 2018, uh, my wife said to me, uh, you should do another talk. And I said to her as I was falling asleep, I can't just come up with another talk. Like it's got to be, it's got to be, it's just got to come to me. And as I was falling asleep, it just, it just, another talk came to me. Uh, it like, it just popped in my head. You know, that, that translucent stage when you're just falling asleep. And I went, yeah. that's my topic. Now that was 2018. It's taken me four years to get this published because they've gone a bunch of big babies and wouldn't let me go ahead and publish what I wanted to publish. But it's worked out for the best because I've been able to do more research uh, on the topic because it's a sensitive oh, that, topic what we're talking about yeah it, it certainly is uh i'm glad that you're able to um you know at least present it finally uh to the public to the defcon community which is a probably uh a spot-on community for this particular talk oh, uh to be presented. The only place only place and that was my problem black hat would there's no black hat wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole and then yeah. if I want a big audience, it's DEFCON or Chaos Computer Club. They're the only two that would touch this topic. Interesting. And I don't even know where Chaos uh, Computer Club even meets. Do they have a big conference in Germany? In Germany? Yeah, Germany. Germany yeah. It's between Christmas and New Year. Oh, that's excellent. Very interesting. Cool. Well, I'm glad that you're going to be presenting at DEFCON because I will be not only will I be in Vegas and get to see it in person, but I don't know if Chaos Computer Club does this, but DEFCON publishes their talks uh, publicly uh, following the, the event and stuff like that. So people can consume it um, who weren't able to attend and be in person and stuff like that. So it's definitely a good a good conference, a good organization, and a good medium uh, for, for your research to be properly presented and, and uh, you know, consumed by a wide audience. So I, I'm super no, pumped. So... Yeah, absolutely. Chris, any any final thoughts before my, my dogs lose their mind over here? Any final thoughts for, for us today before we wrap the show? Uh, none from me, but I mean, if any of the audience want any questions or you want to go through some of those, I'm happy to answer. Or if you're short of time, 
just no, no, the no. Boss we're man. not short. We're not short. I, I was being respectful of your time, Chris. Honestly, uh, the shows typically stream an hour. I like to, you know, not hold you any longer than you want. But Chris is extending his time a little bit uh, this morning. Well, it's this morning where Chris is. Uh, so if you guys have uh, questions for Chris, anything's on the table. Black hat, white hat, his research, sim monster, the fact that they say seam in Australia versus sim. Um, you know, we'll go from there. Oh, I will tell you while questions queue up, uh, Chris, I went to New Zealand uh, for some work uh, back in, I don't know, like 2014. Doesn't matter. And it got off the plane. I was like starving, starving. And I'm, it's, they speak English, but they have different terms and different words. And I'm trying okay. to ask the, the guy at the hotel, where can I get food? Because it was like 10 o'clock at night. No restaurants are open. And he was telling me, like, go to the, basically go to the gas station next door. They might have some food. Now, in America, like, the only thing they have at gas stations is maybe like the rolly hot dogs thing or whatever. But he was telling me the garage. The, like it like it's basically garage and he was saying yeah, yeah. it is gay rage and um I, I like after like i don't know asking him to repeat himself like five times i just i just said forget it and i like i just went to bed i was so pissed and like it took me like i figured it out later as i was going to bed like oh he was saying the garage like i don't even know what that means and then i figured it out the next day so, yeah yeah so even english isn't my strong suit i guess a uh, couple questions here from chat joel belton being open about your black hat experience get you into trouble with your white hat type work great question no. joel no but people expect it in my industry they want the edge they i've got no no issues at all uh in the white in the white hat industry with the black interesting very cool uh jess bishop has a good question are you banned anywhere like is there anywhere in the world that you would not want to go for various I'll, reasons i'll never go back to the middle east put it that way okay there you go uh chris weaver wants to know if chris rocks your actual name or if it's a sock puppet uh no. set up so you can have that social engineering it's one of my fake babies that i created so i'll kill it <laughs> off at the right time and i'll be will smith uh, in a few years time awesome how do you stay out of trouble uh you know being openly black hat it's what i do it's all i do um if you get into trouble you're fucked up so don't fuck up yeah there is a certain um like adrenaline were you in the military chris ever nope, nope. there there is a certain adrenaline dump associated with this line of work and, and, and like the, 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 the edginess of the risk, right? Like, I mean, that's why point Break. I don't know if they had point break in Australia, but um, that's why, that's why that movie, you know, that was the, the, the compulsion of the movie, right. Was that adrenaline rush. It wasn't about robbing the bank. It was about, you know, not getting caught. Do you remember where the last wave was where Patrick Swayze um, bit the dust? Uh, Was it Australia? Yeah. Torquay, Australia. And that's a real location, I assume. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, a couple hundred k for me. Oh, that's cool. Do you surf, Chris? No, no. Look at my oh, skin, okay. mate. I get, I get moonburned. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, uh, our uh, Jeebus wants to know over on Twitch: Are there any areas off limits in the Merc life? No, zero. So when you see the movies about, you know, I won't touch this, I won't touch that, nothing's off limit. It's it's free game. Very cool. I guess you make your own rules, right? Like you're, you're basically the, the, you know, boss of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely. I love it. 
trying to see here. Um, couple people, chats going back into people going, like our talk around higher ed versus not having higher ed. Oh my God, Kimberly's losing it on your moon burn. Yeah, oh, okay, so do you, I'm actually kind of curious, Chris, you know, do you, do you like movies? Do you watch movies uh, with some frequency? Oh, I love them, love them. Any, any particular like hacker scene that ch like roast your butt or, you know, stands out in your memory is like, okay, like this, that, that's like, that's ridiculous or anything like that uh, that stands out? Yeah, look, I mean, if I was a doctor and I watched Dr. House, you'd say, what a load of shit. And I think with hackers, we do the same thing with every time we see any hacker footage. I think the, for me it was when I was watching CSI when the two idiots were on the computer together. <laughs> and for me it's like, what the fuck are you idiots doing typing on the same keyboard like you're coding separately with half a keyboard each? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Which, which editor allowed that to happen. And I'll tell you what, when I did my I Will Kill You and that some people asked me advice about a show they were going to do about for deaths and I said, I gave them this what will work and what won't work and they said, oh, that won't fit the script. We're going to put it in anyway. It's like, well, fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Do whatever you want. Yeah, why'd you even bother me, right? Just yeah, like my name down. Make it up. Fucking Hollywood. Yeah, I will say that I do appreciate Mr. Robot. I didn't watch the entire run of the show, but they did have um, maybe Sammy Kamkar. Like they had someone of note who was the kind of technical director around the hacks specifically used in Mr. Robot to assure that, that they would all be legitimate hacks and, and you know, the way he executed them would be proper. I, I thought that that except was... Go ahead. I did, except one big fuck up. And one big fuck up was when they thought they had to get every idiot together to get their two-factor authentication to get into everyone's bank account. When I saw that scene where they had to get everyone who had a bank account in the same area to get that 2FA... I'm thinking, which fucking moron approved that? Because if you've ever robbed a bank before, I don't need your two-factor authentication, Gerald, to take out your bank service fee. If I'm in charge of the bank, I can take out my $2.50 per month whenever the fuck I like. Why do I need all these dickheads together to get their two away? <laughs> when I saw that scene, I thought, which fucking hacker approved that shit? That's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. You probably, <laughs> they probably were like, it doesn't fit the script. We're going to do it. Right. It's, like right. the executives want it. Um, Chris Weaver's got a question here uh, asking about, is there any difference with reaches, recent changes to the network layer this year for you? And I, I'm curious, I, I'm assuming that she's talking about the OSI layer and I don't know anything about this, but I just heard yesterday that there's like a new, TCP replacement called Quick Q U I C. Have you heard or seen this yet? I don't know anything about it other than the acronym. Yeah, so Christian probably got a good question, but I'm the wrong person to ask because I always have my head up my ass, and I can only talk about radio frequency stuff in this four year period. So if you're going to ask me about any new shit, I fucking don't know anything about it because I'm hyper focused and I don't know anything about that area. I'll have to learn, but something I know nothing about. Just Ben wants to know if you'll be writing a screenplay about your life for a movie. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually asked to do a TED talk and uh, TED Global in New York. And I produced the talk and then I got the okay. I practiced the talk and they asked me, they said, Chris, have you done anything in the last year that's that's um, hacking wise? Because uh, I was talking about being a cyber mercy. Have you done anything that's uh, noteworthy? And I said, well, nothing that I can talk about. And they said, well, how do we know you're as good as you say you are? 
So then I went out and hacked everyone at TED and then showed them that I could hack everyone in TED and they weren't impressed with that. Um, so I have no longer doing a TED talk. Um, so then maybe if someone's game enough. That's funny. Yeah, you're like, huh, huh? Look at these. Look at these reports. You know, you guys so know about that? Ah, just Ben wants to know if you if you've done anything that keeps you up at night. That's a good question, and if if so, you may not be able to talk about it, which is totally understandable. No, not 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 at all. Zero. Oh, good. The only thing that keeps me up at night is stuff that I haven't done. <laughs> there you go. Have you ever encountered um, a target or an objective that you haven't, you know, successfully compromised in a way that you no. know was satisfying to you? No. No. No, it's always a way. If I'm dealing with a security guy, I'm not even going to try to tack a security guy. They're a pain in the ass. You know, they're like me, you know, two-factor, long-ass passwords, um, socially retarded as in they're very hard to talk to. <laughs> if they're not in your network, you can't get in their network. So you just ha- you yeah. have to hack one of their peers, their wife, their kids, and get in that way because you, you've got to get that that trust. Um, if you're not in that in their circle, don't even fucking bother from a security person. Well, that's, I mean, you know, I take that as a point of pride as a security person, yeah. uh, you know, I, I feel good. <laughs> yeah, now I'm, sure. I'm going to get a, get a text from my 10 year old about, um, the bank account or whatever, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be exactly. You. Uh, Nick Barker wants to know, have you come across a worthy adversary and how did you know that they were legit? N- no, I, I haven't nothing, no adversary that was worth you know, any extra time spent on them. So no, no mini bosses, no final hack boss scene in, in your No, no unfortunately <laughs> not. And to be honest, uh, hacking's really easy. I mean, your audience will know if they're doing jobs. It's pretty fucking easy. It's just a matter of how many holes are in, uh, in a target. So, I mean, if you only find one hole in a target, there's something going wrong with your life. You know what I mean? There's so many ways to get in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, this is a great question from Chris. Is social engineering the weakest point for ninety nine percent of everyone? Like, is yeah? Yes. I mean, is this is this yes. the way you approach it? Exactly right. I mean, we talk about you know getting some getting access to someone's phone number and then you know rerouting that phone number to you. If you can get in there, half your two factor authentication problem go goes away. Um, you, like I did with my talk in two thousand fifteen, you could actually kill somebody off, then own their assets. And then, then you own them, and then you can shut down their bank accounts and get their money that way. So, social engineering is the god only because we trust it. You go into a bank, show your ID, the operator creates a bank account for you, and then all this internal nonsense goes on in the background about creating a bank account, loan approval, shit like that. Once you get in that front door, you can do whatever the hell you like. That's good to know, and it's it makes a total sense. Um, okay, so real quick, Just Ben wants to know if. Uh, he, uh, you're a Jedi and he wants to be your Padawan. So definitely inspiring people, uh, Chris today in, in chat. I, I'm curious when you have a objective, right? Like, okay, so Chris, I want, I have a, uh, an objective and I'm going to hire you as a cyber mercenary. Like the goal is to get into this account or to, you know, or to get, get the blueprints from my competitor. When you are like, okay, like let's rock and roll during that initial music montage where you're like doing all of your prep work and stuff, right? What is your, what is your approach? I mean, do you work backwards? Do you look forwards? Do you follow kind of the traditional Lockheed Martin kill chain or is that just rubbish 
Uh, I'm kind of yeah, curious no, what a real. Yeah, go ahead. It's quite accurate. I mean, when you when as a pen tester, you you know, it's a whole all about gathering intelligence on the target. With a cyber merc, you can go a little bit further. So you will not only if I've got a target. And I'll obviously look at the target and his the family and and everything around that. I'll think also target his doctor, his gym, all that sort of that that's what we call second tier. So the stuff around the target. So I can then send an email from his gym, from his doctor, from his lawyer, from his accountant, and, and that sort of stuff. So we we attack not only the the primary tier, as in the close inner circle, but the second tier because there's still mm-hmm. the trust. My accountant has sent me an email. I've got a larger tax return click on this link, do this, do that sort of stuff. So we look at them as, t- as just different tiers of, it, of, of of getting into that network. So to answer your question, it's very similar to pen testing, but we get the luxury of going a little bit further, as in we can hack. For example, if, I'm, if I was going to hack you, Gerald, I would look at you, your network, and your outer network. They might hack 100 people before I even look at hacking you, but I'll, I'll hack your whole circle first, and then you're my last target. Oh yeah, that I mean that is interesting, and I think you know what I'm hearing again. I'm not a you know I've never really professionally worked in the red space. Um, what I'm hearing is the major difference between what a merc is and what a pen tester is is the scope and rules of engagement. They just don't exist on the merc they side. Don't they don't exist. Exactly right. They don't exist, and you can. And the beauty is because the scope doesn't exist. It can be a wide scope, so I can hack your 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 child's school and send an email from there. Whatever gets me into your brain as a trusted source. I I am curious. Again, feel free to go as little or as deep as you want. I I want you to feel like I know you will, but I just want to say it outright. When when you're um doing these operations, I mean, are you operating like on a you know, like a burner laptop, do you do VPNs and jump around? Like what's your level of prep before you even initiate, uh, you know, target or uh, actions on targets? Yeah, so we'll probably hack five targets around the world and then route our traffic around that. So our last ta- target might be a bed and breakfast or hotel uh, in Sri Lanka and our traffic might bounce around a few a few countries that are at war with each other. So, you know, we might, between India and Pakistan, we might route traffic between them, knowing there's no, you know, no, they're not going to work with each other. And our exit will be, um, I'm not going to say the word shithole, but a different place in the world um, that that's not going to come back to us. So we'll, we'll route yeah. our traffic. Interesting. So are you putting, like, again, this isn't my forte, but, I mean, are you basically owning a box? Like, let's just say... Um, like, okay, let's stick with bed and breakfast, right? So you take a bed and breakfast in Pakistan and you compromise someone's workstation there and then you install like uh, like basically a um, persistence mechanism or malware botnet or something like that, something that you can just route packets through and that's the extent right. of it? Yeah, spot on. We, we, it's just a proxy hop for us. It's just a matter of how many proxy hops you want between you and the target. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, and you know, it's funny, like once you say it, it sounds so obvious and you see it in the movies, like, oh, they're routing around, you know, they're bouncing through Friendster or whatever. Like, um, but you don't typically hear it when you hear the cyber kill chain and when you see like, you know, kind of academic attacks, it's very much like maybe you jump on a VPN or maybe you don't do it from your home network or you use a burner laptop, but you still go directly to the target. So I think it's really it's personally, it's very interesting to hear from an experienced professional that there is steps negative one and step zero before 
you know, step one. Uh, uh, and it's a pain in the ass. It's not like you can fire up ExpressVPN or NordVPN. You can't trust those hops. You've got to create your own hops, uh, which takes time. So you might have a week planting proxies around the world before then you'll hit your target. But that's, I mean, that's your get-out-of-jail-free card, like picking the right proxies. Do do you would you typically ha- like do all that work per engagement or do you would you like hypothetically right obviously you don't have to disclose but like or would you have like a couple compromised hosts like around and you just pull them off the shelf and and proxy through them like basically have infrastructure for lack of a better term established yeah, yeah so we have a, like a we have like a black book of ones we have, but we always create fresh ones along the loop in case they've been compromised. There's a couple of times that we'll compromise a box and then another hacker will compromise that box on top of ours, which is also does a favour for us as well. Because once we see a hacker jump on a box and we can see what footprints they use, we then drop those footprints on other boxes so we can blame them for the attack. <laughs> I love it. It's very, it's very thoughtful, very comprehensive, very calculating. Um, it's very interesting. Chris wants to know, and this is germane to what we're talking about. How do you protect yourself from from other hackers? Like, you know, it sounds like in that arrangement you just said, you're the dominating force. You're planting their footprints everywhere. How do you how do you protect yourself from them doing that to you? Yeah, a great question. And the answer is you can't. You you cannot. You can obviously do two FA on everything that you can, but there'll be some websites where there is no two FA that's already been compromised in the back end, where your credit card's already been done over so the answer is you're going to get done over you just need to limit your exposure um by doing your two phase wherever you can but for the sites that i mean you guys have dealt with you know whether you go to a rv park or something like that they've just got shit security they'll just write your bloody credit card number on a piece of paper or they'll use some poxy bloody excel spreadsheet to put your details in you're going to get hacked but you just got to limit that exposure love it Honest answers, good talk, real truths with Chris Rockman. I, Chris, I have had, like, normally when I bring a guest on, it's very, like, specific. Like, we're going to talk about Sim Monster, right, and, and SOC analyst work and all that. And occasionally I do what I call a fireside chat, which is basically no agenda. We can go wherever we want. And I really, really feel uh, that we covered so many interesting topics today and really, really, really cool uh, content, even this black hat stuff. I had no idea, Chris. Um, you know, I I guess I saw the term cyber mercenary and didn't really think more into it than just, okay. Like, you know, people in our industry, they throw, they use a lot of titles, right? Like you'll, you'll see like the, the CEO of Bitbyte is like the chief hacker, like the chief cyber evangelist or, you know, chief Jedi, like, you know, so I thought it was kind of just playful words, but it's not, you literally are a cyber mercenary. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've loved the talk. It's been very enjoyable. I love these questions coming in as well because I prefer ad lib than a set format. I think it's, a, it's, it's great because this is that, this is the audience. This is what, this is what they want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, uh, before we went live, you know, I, I definitely want to chat up, uh, because I, I did want them to engage. I wanted them to, uh, to be part of the show and, and really just I'm facilitating more than, you know, um, asking the questions and stuff like that. So I think that's going to uh, do it though. Um, Chris, he's given the talk um, hurts kills, right? That's the title of the talk. I have it. I have like a killer little, hurts. Um, killer hurts. Yes. Oh yeah. Right. Which makes way more sense. Killer hurts. This yeah. is his talk. Uh, the little write up. This is on the DEF CON forums. You can see 
um, his little um, the abstract, if you will, of what it is. There will be a demo. There will be a tool. Sounds like Chris is going to be providing schematics for you to um, produce your own hardware, if that's something that you're into. I will drop this link in chat right now. So if anyone wants to read the, the bio um, of, or excuse me, the abstract of the talk, you can definitely check that out. Let me actually, Chris, let me just tease one thing. Like I said, guys, really quickly, we are going to be wrapping the show, but just a reminder, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., we will be doing the daily cyber threat briefing. Uh, it's a, you know, basically a 45-minute show of the top cyber news stories of the day. I feel like it pales in comparison to the to the crazy, interesting stuff that Chris is working on, but it is important. Threat intelligence is important. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you do know this, but every single morning at 8 a.m., um, I go live uh, with very little prep work and we just consume uh, six cyber stories of the day, like whatever's happening. And I watch uh, it. I, oh, do you? I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, love I you, know Mike. you watched some of it, but I didn't realize you were. Uh, well, there you go. Chris Rock, member of the Simply Cyber community. Thanks, Chris. I'm really, really uh, appreciative uh, that you. Uh, I should be thanking you. That. I should be well, thinking to you. You give me a, you give me bite-sized info that I don't have to go and find. That's like you, you're on my Twitter feed. I can just go, you know, bang YouTube, done. Oh wow. Well, that's quite flattering. Uh, definitely, definitely made my day. Thank you, Chris, uh, for that. All right, guys. Great questions today for Chris. Great stream. I will make well base uh, one of the mods. Base case, wonderful individual. He will be making this broadcast available in audio format on the Simply Cyber podcast. So if you'd prefer to consume it that way or share it with your friends that way, definitely going to work. I hope to see those of you in Vegas who will be there at Chris's talk on Friday at 6 p.m. right before the parties. Um, it's going to be, like I said, appointment viewing. I I'll be honest with you, Chris. I hope I can get in. Like some of those DEF CON talks, the fire marshal, you know, it's like you can only have a couple thousand people in the seat. I feel like because this is your third talk and people are really, really um, aware of how awesome your talks are and how well-researched they are, that it's going to be uh, lots of people lining up. I might even have to just like get there early uh, to assure that I, I get a good seat. But you'll see my smiling face. Uh, yeah. You're my brother, mate. I'll save you a seat. All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time, Chris. Thanks for running along uh, with us. Great questions from chat, everybody. We will see you all tomorrow at 8 a.m. Be good, everybody. Thank you so much. Cheers.